the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're, um, we're also beginning, uh, so we're looking at the, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John uh, here during Advent season, but we're also kicking off a new series. It's going to take us all the way through the Gospel of John. So we, um, we're beginning that as well. So as we start, let's, let's review a little bit here. Um, kind of where we've been. We've, we've talked about, and we're going to read all of this, we're going to read all 18 verses in a minute, even though our, our focus today is going to be verses uh, 14 down through 18. Uh, in, the, in the first part of this Gospel of John, we learn a few different things. We learn and have talked about how Jesus is the eternal creator, that he was with God, that he's always been, that he's, he, uh, he is God, the eternal God. And now he's taken on flesh and, and come amongst us. We're going to see that. We're going to see that he's the, the true light that shines into the darkness of this world, as we just talked about in our prayer a few minutes ago. We met John the Baptist, who told us that there's only one true light. People thought he might be the light. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not the light. There is a light, and it's not me. It's Jesus. He is the true light, the light of men, and we're all called to bear witness about this light. And then today we're going to see how Jesus... Uh, took on flesh and, and lives and dwelt among us. And we'll talk about what all that means. And so these, these verses that we've looked at during the season serve as an introduction to the Gospel of John, but also serve as an introduction to the person and work of Jesus. We see here sort of an overview of why Jesus came into the world to make God known, to, to show us uh, who we are, who God is, and how those things uh, relate rightly. At the end of his gospel, we've looked at this a couple of times, but at the end of this gospel, towards the end, John tells us that the reason he wrote this is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and uh, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so that's our goal even today, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who was coming from God, who has come, and uh, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing upon him, we may have life in his name. All right, I'm going to read John chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way down through uh, verse 18 so we can kind of see where uh, this whole passage is, uh, uh, connects together. So give great attention to the reading of the very Word of God. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, would you open up your word this morning that we might know you through Jesus. Holy Spirit, work in us. Give us faith. Open our eyes to see the beauty and majesty of Jesus. The one who points us beyond himself even to the Father. We're thankful for you. God, thank you for loving us, for sending your son into the world to die for our sins. He is our hope. He's the hope of the world. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We come today, we're going to look at three ideas uh, that, are, that are in this passage, in the last part of this passage here. The idea of incarnation, uh, and then the idea of tabernacle. We'll talk about that, and then we'll end by talking about the, the idea of grace. The key to a, a Merry Christmas is, is right before us today. It's right here. It's right in our presence. Different translations for, for, for verse 14 here give us some different ideas about the meaning behind this, different ways that it could be translated. I think these are all fair translations as we, as we look at this. Of course, the ESV that we just read says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, uh, he calls the, the, they call the message, says this. It says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. That he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The New Living Translation says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. Made his home among us. Theologian F.F. F. Bruce uh, translates that, that passage, this passage this way. He says, And the Word became flesh and pitched his tabernacle among us. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. Today we're looking at this, the glory that's revealed here, that Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The main point of this verse and, this, and even this passage is that Jesus is God in human flesh. There's a reason here that John, the, the, the gospel writer, is belaboring this point. There were those around at this time, we know them as Gnostics, there may have been others who held similar, similar beliefs, who were saying that it was crazy to think that God would become man because their belief was that matter is bad, so therefore flesh would be bad, that spirit is good, that our goal is to rise above our flesh and become spiritual beings would have been something the Gnostic might have encouraged us towards. And so their argument was that Jesus must have just appeared to be a man appeared to be clothed in a fleshly matter. <clears throat> but surely he was just a spirit, just an apparition of sorts. A really good one, because we could touch him and feel him and those things, I suppose. But nonetheless, because their view is that flesh was bad, matter in itself was bad, and spiritual things are good, surely Jesus didn't become a man. He just appeared to become a man. And so in the midst of these kinds of foolish arguments, John the Apostle writes his gospel, and here he also wrote uh, three other letters that are in our New Testament. And the first one, in the first one, he told us about uh, being an eyewitness to the person and work of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, that, this is how he begins his letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and have what touched with our hands. Why? Because it was physical. He's making this point. These things uh, concerning the word of life. The life, talking about Jesus here, was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it. And to proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I think I actually meant to stop there. Sorry. So the, the point here that we're making is that the word became what? Flesh. John says, I was there. I saw it. I touched it. Jesus, God in the flesh. The Nicene Creed was also written to correct the teachings of Gnostics and others who were in error about the divinity and humanity of Christ. Here's what the Nicene Creed says. Here's the, the, the part of the creed about Jesus. It says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. So you're wondering, is Jesus God? The Nicene Fathers would say, yes, God of God, very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Meaning that he wasn't born in a natural way. He was given, put into Mary by the, by the Spirit. Being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Remember we pointed that out in John 1.1, 1, 1, that all things were made through him, by him. Why? Why did all this happen? For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Then he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again, the second advent we've been talking about. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. So Jesus not only came, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us even when he was gone. One of the most amazing things about this event that we call Christmas is this entire idea of incarnation, that the creator would become part of the creation. Y'all realize how weird that is? Could you imagine going to Disney World and you're riding through It's a Small World after all? And this would be really weird because he's dead. But could you imagine that Walt Disney is sitting there on one of the animatronics singing It's a Small World After All? You're like, surely he's got better things to do than sit inside the creation and, and just be a part of the mechanics. Well, we would say that Jesus is more than just part of the mechanics. But the one who's made the world has taken on flesh and become part of the world. This is astonishing. It's amazing. It's much more amazing than Walt Disney being a part of his creation. This is God taking on flesh, becoming a man. And he didn't come as a king or an emperor. He came as a human, a, a, a simple person, a being, who, although he was a king, although he... It's like an emperor of sorts. That's not the way he came in triumph. He's coming back that way. But the first time he came as a baby, born in a manger. 
He actually, as Eugene Peterson translates this, moved into the neighborhood, emphasizing that he just became like you and me. He became one of us, human. Even though David was his great-grandfather, Jesus didn't get a proper birth in the castle with lots of fanfare. He was born and lived like a commoner. It seems that he grew up like everyone else, playing games as a kid, helping Joseph in the carpentry shop once he was old enough. And so we think about this. Can you imagine this? Jesus Christ, very God of very God, playing kickball in the streets, playing dodgeball with his friends, doing a cannonball off the high dive, falling off his bike and scraping his knees. Would he have done these things? Yes. Think about the world that Jesus was born into. Dusty, dirty, common. Now if I were God, and this is proof that I am definitely not God, I would have been born in some modern age with modern trappings. But Jesus doesn't. He comes in the first century where servants wash your feet because the cows just pooped in the, in the road. took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Our neighborhood, like us, with us, for us, and for our salvation. I mentioned the F.F. Bruce translation before that, that he translated verse 14 here to say, and the word became flesh and pitched his tabernacle among us. And using this concept of the tabernacling here, uh, John is showing us how the Old Testament tabernacle was foreshadowing Jesus Christ. The, the tabernacle, of course, was this canvas tent that was set up in the midst of the people of Israel in the wilderness during the Exodus after they had been set free from slavery in Egypt after the Passover. Uh, but more importantly, it was the place where God dwelt among his people or lived among his people, or we would say tabernacled among his people. He was always in the midst. Rick Phillips, PCA pastor, gives us four parallels between Jesus and the tabernacle. Here's the first one. Uh, the tabernacle was specifically given for Israel's wilderness journey. Once they got where they were going, they got a permanent dwelling, a temple. But in the wilderness, they got a tabernacle. Uh, in the same way that the tabernacle was for the wilderness, there's a sense in which Jesus lived all of his life in the wilderness because this world was not his true home. He's a resident of glory who has condescended to come to us. And that's proof that he didn't think he was too good for us or whatnot. He willingly came and dwelt among us. Similarly, we who have placed our faith in Christ no longer belong to this world, but we, are, we as well are strangers here. But we are heading towards our true and everlasting home. We have the promise of God that he's coming to take us uh, to that place. Number two, the tabernacle was humble in appearance. Compared to the grand pyramids of the Egyptians or the temple of the Greek gods, the tabernacle was nothing to write home about. It was a 45-foot by 15-foot tent. Jesus as well was in common flesh. He was not in kingly garb or even priestly garments. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about him, the Messiah, and he said this. He said, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. It wasn't who he was outwardly that was striking. It's what he did. 
being God in the flesh. In the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien describes Aragorn, another ruddy man who was a king without a country or a crown, in a way that would fit a description of Christ. He says this, he says, All that is gold does not glitter. Not all who wander are lost. Jesus. So the tabernacle was for the wilderness journey. It was, for, it was humble in appearance. It was also at the center of Israel's camp. The different tribes of Israel would come into a camp where they were going to set up, and they would set up their camp so that the tabernacle was always at the center of their community, of their lives. The presence of God was always there in the midst of them, at the center of what they were doing. Jesus, as well, is to be at the center of everything in our lives. Everything. Our families, our beliefs, our recreations, our jobs, our hopes, our dreams, everything. All of our lives are to be centered on the work and person of Jesus Christ. And then finally and fourthly, the tabernacle is where sacrifices were made for sins. And of course, we jump immediately to Jesus. Jesus is our sacrifice. The sacrifices of the tabernacle actually pointed beyond themselves to the sacrifice of Jesus. He accomplishes what they were given for, the, the picture that they were given to paint. Jesus actually accomplishes that work. But Christmas is not rightly understood as gracious or joyful or important or special in any way if Jesus has not come and fulfilled his destiny to be the Savior, to be the one that died for our sins. If Jesus is just another baby born into this world and not the Savior that we have longed for, then we're insane for even caring about Christmas. We're wasting our time and money. But the good news, of course, is that Christ has come. The Messiah has come. The promised one of Israel has come, full of grace and truth, bringing light and hope to a world darkened by sin and shame. The incarnation, Christ, has taken on flesh and come into the world. Tabernacle, he came and dwelt among us, in our midst, in our neighborhood, in a sense. Why? To bring the grace of God to bear upon us. To know Jesus is to know God. So to get to know God, what should we do? We look to Jesus. We study him and his life. We emulate him and the things that we know about him. We love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. For he is God. He's our savior. He's also our model. But even beyond being a model for us, he empowers us through his grace to live for him and to love him and to love others. He is grace and truth personified. Truth, perfect truth. He was sinless. He is the perfect representation of God. Everything about Jesus Christ is right and true. Of course, we're often scared of the truth. Because we know the truth about us. And we're afraid of being exposed. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is also full of grace, not just truth. The scripture here says, not just grace, but grace upon grace. Like waves that are always rolling on the top of each other on the shoreline. Grace is always present, never lacking. You can never exhaust the grace that God gives. Could you imagine trying to carry all the water out of the ocean? 
Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace is the greatest gift we've ever received. The unmerited favor of God is the greatest present we have ever received or ever could receive. And the abundance of this grace gives us the assurance that we can be fully known and yet fully loved all at the same time. This is the beauty of the gospel that Jesus brings to life. It exposes us for who we truly are while simultaneously comforting us with the love of God that receives sinners into His family without hesitation. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How can we not live with this truth, with this love, with this grace at the center of our lives? Tabernacling among us. Right there at the middle. My encouragement for us this week, especially as we celebrate Christmas, is to think deeply about the Savior. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning he didn't lack anything that would have made him God. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The correct response to understanding the beautiful miracle of Christmas is what? Worship. It's worship. To fall on our knees before the King, singing praises to the one who brought joy to the world, not just by showing up and gracing us with his presence, but by becoming obedient to the point of death so that all who believe can live and never die. God demonstrated his love for us and that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Good news of great joy. That's what we say during the season, right? Good news of great joy. Fancy lights, presents under a tree. Yeah. But there's better news. That's right. Good news of great joy. That God receives sinners on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Christ has come, moved right into the neighborhood, neighborhood the tabernacle among us, to give us abundant life to give us everlasting life, to make us children of the King. That is who we are, sons and daughters of the living God, rescued from ourselves, from our own sinfulness, by the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that the gospel is good news indeed. We thank you for this season that we get to celebrate the coming of our Savior, Jesus, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, 
who came for us and for our salvation. For that reason, he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and then died that we might have life. Help us believe. Help us even not to be distracted by the lights and the tinsel and the gifts and the songs and the, the things of this season. But God, made those things even serve to remind us that this baby who born in a manger was born to die. That, that Christmas is nothing without Easter. But God, also help us to be mindful that all the people around us during this season are thinking about Jesus. Would you give us the courage and the will to point them to beyond the manger to the cross? To compel people to trust in Jesus as I compel all of us today to fling ourselves upon your mercy, to put all of our faith and hope in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. God, you are good to us. We know that because you keep your promises and you sent your son to move into our neighborhood, to dwell among us, to tabernacle among us. Help us to see him. And with, with John the Baptist say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.